Hello, my name is John Brink, and we are podcasting from downtown Prince George uh, on the Brink, and uh, we have a very, very special guest today. It is the mayor of McKenzie, and her name is Joan Atkinson. Welcome to the show, Joan. Thank you very much, John. I'm uh, very excited to be here and have the opportunity to have this important discussion with you. Yes. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm coming from the traditional territory of the uh, McLeod Lake Indian Band. Mackenzie sits in the traditional territory of MLIB, so I want to make that land acknowledgement. Sh sure. And uh, thank you for being here, Joan. And, uh, you know, the, uh, and I'm very pleased to have you as well here as a guest. Now, for those people that, uh, you know, we have a lot of people watching internationally, Mackenzie is about how many kilometers north of Prince George? It's about 190. Yeah, yes. about close yeah. to two hours. Yes, drive. Uh, d yeah, depending on the weather, a little yeah. bit more extra time this time of year, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's it's a smaller community, right? Currently, um, I think we sit at about 3,700 people. Yeah. Uh, in the you know late 80s, we were up to about 6,000, and wow. of course with um, you know. Um, mechanisms in mills and uh, you know progress that you know there's were less workers needed so right. you know that the employment has um, shrunk but it is still the major economic driver in our community yes and and you came to Mackenzie 1997 in that area that's correct I grew up in uh, northern Ontario okay um, spent from 84 to 97 in three locations in Manitoba my husband was a forester with the Manitoba government okay. and the Ontario government he wanted an opportunity to work for private industry right. um, before he retired so came out in 97 to work for Finley Forest Industries yeah. which is now um, Conifex Conifex yeah and 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 uh, and then you also worked in the forest industry, right? Well, I've been a um, a bureaucrat my entire uh, working career, so right. I've worked for the provinces of an Ontario, Manitoba, British Columbia, and the federal government. So, so I'm I'm very comfortable in that um, regulated environment, right? And um, recognize challenges that bureaucrats have getting their jobs done, right? But um, I. Uh, I, I think my one of my biggest um, aids in my life as a mayor is that my husband and both my sons are directly involved in the industry. So we grew up around our dining room table talking about, you know, silviculture and annual elbow cuts and uh, what reckies were and, and all that sort of thing. So I, I, have a, I have a pretty solid understanding of the industry and, and I think as a mayor of a resource-based community that's my responsibility. So what is your husband's name? Jim Atkinson. And is he retired now? He or? is retired. He is the chairperson of our community forest. Okay. Um, job. He was the manager for the community forest before yeah. that and then worked for industry in McKenzie in the same location but for different companies as companies were bought and sold. And you have two sons? We ha I have two sons. My oldest son actually works for Industrial Forestry Services here in uh, Prince George. Yeah, his name is? Is Nathan. 
Nathan. Yes, and Nathan, and my youngest son is um, works for East Fraser Fiber, Parallel Fifty Five. Yeah, and he is a scaler and a heavy equipment operator in the log yard. Wow. So yeah, so they're they're not involved in the processing; they're involved in you know the the core forestry operations. All the things around the yes. industry, right? Mm -hmm. And and then the other thing is uh, you know the. So you went to McKinsey in 1997, and then you became politically involved. When did that all happen? So I, I ran in a by-election in 2007, because I... Um, for council? Or for, for council, yeah. for council. And yeah. I sat on council until 2018, yeah. and that was when I, I um, ran for mayor. I was actually acclaimed in yeah. 2018, and then when I went in for that four-year term, I thought, well, I'll wait and see where the community is in 2022 to decide whether or not I would run again because yeah. um, I'm, I'm getting a little older, but you know, I just look at people like you and age doesn't really matter, right? You just keep on ticking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so there are so many things right now in play in McKenzie that haven't been resolved. Um, you know, certainly the closures we've seen right now, our um, timber supply area is in the middle of a timber supply review. Yeah. We are supposedly um, going to hear what our new AAC is. I've been told as early as the end of January, so I'm very hopeful that that's going to happen because I think that has to be the first step right. moving forward because there's other things, major things happening like tenure tran or sales to Indigenous nations. So just want to talk a little bit more about because you then decided in, in, in uh, 2018 you became, uh, or then you had to make a decision if you would run again because there was just an election that happened a couple of months ago? Yes, uh, yes, yes. October the 15th. October the 15th. Yeah, and, yes. and you were yeah. elected yeah. again. So when, when I took over as the, when I was acclaimed as the mayor of McKenzie in 2018, and the former mayor likes to tease me, but I know it's all in, uh, in jest that when he was the mayor, no mills shut down, right? And I took over, and two of our major mills have shut down under <laughs> my <of> leadership. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to fix that before I, I yeah, hang and, up and, my hat. And obviously that brings us to our discussion today because this podcast in particular, and that's why you are such an important guest for me, is that you're knowledgeable about the forest industry in British Columbia. And this podcast in particular focuses on a BC's forest industry and transition. And uh, that means that uh, a lot of things have happened in the last 10, 12 years since uh, the 2020 in that area. And uh, in particular, we have had the beetle uh, uh, pandemic mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, eliminated probably 60-70% of the pine beetle in the interior of the province. Then we have had uh, spruce beetle, uh, you know, that uh, coming from the uh, Mackenzie region, making its way east around. It's still kind of active now. Mm -hmm. And then forest fires in 19, uh, 2017 and 18 in particular, that uh, took out a lot of the uh, you know, timber that, uh, you know, we are relying on in the province of British Columbia. So the, we, we, we have this amazing province 
and you know, in my opinion, I'm sure you feel the same, that grows this amazing forest that uh, we have. And as you fly over it, it, it looks amazing, really, timber, uh, you know, that is very carefully managed in terms of maintaining. And you made the reference to AAC, that means annual allowable cut, that is a very delicate balance of determining how much fiber can be harvested and still maintaining the sustainable yield going forward. Exactly. Then what happened though is because of the pine beetle, then uh, the spruce beetle, the fires, and, and some other things that happened in addition to that, uh, you know, the, uh, the AAC in the province has gone from normally around 60 million cubic meters annually, uh, lifted up to as high as 80 during the pine beetle mm -hmm. to harvest as much of the, the wood as long as it had economic value, to back to 60, now down to 40, and even somewhat lower than 40 in the province, resulting 35 million, uh, 35 mills shut down, two in your region. Uh, yeah, although um, our uh, the our mills are not we're not um, are not shut down because of lack of fiber. Correct. As I, I, I mentioned earlier, we're in the middle of a timber supply review, and the early indications are um, we are just going to go back to our post or our pre-uplift numbers. Correct. So we're up to four and a half million cubic meters. Yeah. It looks like, what I've heard from government, we're going to go back to three or maybe slightly below that and we're good until the next review. So, right. so we're in a different situation than yes. most communities is that we haven't run out of fiber. We have lots of fiber and, and government has said that to me on many occasions, you know, you know, you have nothing to worry about when I first was elected mayor that, right. you know, you have a robust fiber supply. Well, uh, that doesn't do much for my community no. when those logs are rolling down the highway to be processed elsewhere. And that's the delicate part of it, right? And that gets to the concept of what I always say, and my friends, the major primaries and, and around the Kofi table, and I'm a vice chair of Kofi, amazingly, but, uh, you know, is that I always say that the fiber in this province belongs to you and me, the people, that access to fiber is a privilege and there are certain social obligations surrounding that. Which and, no longer exist. Which, which, and that's the troubling part. That is the concept of uh, pertency, which means the social contract really in saying that the lumber that is harvested should be manufactured in that particular region. And, and, uh, and, and again, Mackenzie is unique to a certain extent, Fortune James, and, and other regions mm -hmm. uh, potentially. Yeah. And so what is happening now is that you, although throughout the province, a lot of the uh, you know, is the province is divided into areas, they call it TSAs, mm -hmm. timber supply areas. The largest ones in the province are Mackenzie and Prince George. Prince George was reduced uh, uh, by a substantial mm -hmm. volume. Uh, 
Mackenzie wasn't, neither likely is the one north of that even further in Fort Nelson and the other area around Fort St. John. The problem has been that, uh, you know, the mills there are no longer operating. And in and, and the time that I've been here, Joan, it has gone through Finley, Finley Forest Products. It has been... Donahue, no, Abbot Don, to be Consolidated. All of those, mm -hmm. on and on and on, can for. And, and now, you know, where, where do you go from here, right? So yeah. how do you attract, again, manufacturing in the region? Exactly. And, and you know, um, it was the right thing to do at the time when the Liberal government removed a pertinency in the early 2000s just to accommodate the harvesting of all that um, infected wood while it still had some uh, value to it. But there should have been a sunset clause to, to have that be put in place forever, that's what's killing small rural communities is, um, you know, when, when a large company is awarded tenure, there is a social obligation that the, the you're going to, that yes, that, that you're going to support that community, that, or the communities within that timber supply area. We are the only major one. We do have some uh, First Nations communities. Um, but that, that's our, our biggest issue right now is we have a healthy fiber supply and government has, we like to think that, that it belongs to us, the forests in this province. They don't. They actually belong to the five big companies. When you look at it, they're, they're the ones who are running the show. They have, you know, making the big profits and it just um, really disturbs me when they're making record profits, you know, two years ago, millions and millions of dollars. Now the price of lumber has dropped. So what do you do? You lay off your employees and they have to bear the brunt of that. They, none of them, I'm sure, got bonuses when those companies were making billion, millions of dollars. But right. now when they're not making, it's always the um, workers that have to bear the brunt of that. And that right. has to stop. And so uh, I look at um, Mackenzie, our largest tenure holder, who holds a million cubic meters of wood. They shut down their operation three and a half years ago and still hold on to that tenure. Which company is that? Canfor. Canfor, yeah. Yeah, so there has to be something, and I know government's done a good job engaging all of us about what has to be done, but one of the things that has, has to be put into legislation when you are awarded that tenure, you have some obligations that must be fulfilled. And if they're not fulfilled, then that tenure goes back to the government and they give it to someone that's going to support communities. You know, um, when uh, the NDP took over in uh, 2017, you know, they, their mantra was people first, communities first. That has... Yeah. That hasn't happened. That was that was nothing but lip service, in my opinion, right. because we look at where our community is right now. We're in far worse shape than we, when we were before all these things were going to change. And I know there's been, as I said, lots of engagement. Mackenzie was one of the um, only timber supply areas. There was two of them in the province that 
formed timber supply area coalitions yeah. and that was on the invitation of uh, Premier Horgan yeah. and it only went out to companies because I, yeah. I called Victoria and say why can't my community um, form a coalition they said no it has to be done by industry yeah so uh, uh, gratefully I'm very grateful to Ken Shields stepped up to the plate so he and I co-chaired Mackenzie's uh, timber supply area coalition we held I would say a hundred meetings in 14 months and yeah. that was all the major players indigenous nations haulers loggers and we met um, sometimes three four times a week to try and figure things out right so we participated in that then the government had the interior forest renewal <clears throat> excuse me um, process we were the second community to host it now we have the intentions paper has come out last month they've now formed another committee um, so I, I think what frustrates me the most is I appreciate that we were given the, the opportunity to be part of the conversation. It's time to stop talking and start doing. Right. Um, we are waiting for government to actually put some of these intentions into action. Right. Because if it's, intentions mean nothing if, if there's nothing done about it. So I, I think that's everyone's frustration is we're all left in limbo. There's so much uncertainty in in the industry yeah. that that um, it's killing small communities, and that's my concern. So, if I'm correct, then that I think it was in June of twenty one that the premier then John Organ and the minister of forest then uh, you know Catherine uh, Conroy, Catherine Conroy yep. yeah made the announcement of the what they call the intentions paper which was modernizing the industry into an industry of the future. And, uh, you know, the, uh, and there were three different parties that endorsed it with it. Uh, a, a fellow from, a person from First Nations, a person from Labour, and a person from industry spoke to it. The one from industry that spoke to it was me. In fact, don't ask me why, but they, I was the one, and mm -hmm. I thought there were others, but anyway. So what, what I said in that conversation is because I've always been an advocate of we should be doing more with the forest that we have other than just making dimension lumber. Right. And if we can do further manufacturing of that lumber, or of byproducts of that particular process, it should be done here, not elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and that would be a, a, a commitment in that access to fiber is a privilege. Uh, you know, exactly. it is not. Uh, they do not own it. It's a privilege. Right. And if they are not using it properly or not putting as much value into the resource as is possible, then it should be considered that just changes should be made to that exactly right and, and we do have a value-added company um, East Fraser Fiber Parallel 55 in Mackenzie yeah which um, you know depended on those sawmills running yeah. when Canfor shut down which ended which um, the outcome of that was the paper excellence mill went down because Correct. they no longer had any chips. No. East Fraser's been very loyal to Mackenzie um, yeah. for decades. 
Right now, they are importing trim blocks from Alberta. Yeah. We sit on a healthy fiber yeah. basket in the McKenzie TSA, and yeah. that value added, and that's government's buzzword, value added, we have to get more. They want, they want that to grow, but yeah. you can't grow that unless you give those companies some tenure. It's, and so it makes I, no sense. And so what I've said is that, that the future of the industry, and just talking about Parallel 55, uh, uh, was started by a good friend of mine, Dan Chris Winter, way back in the early 80s, late 70s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that uh, started, uh, I started the finger jointing in the province, in Canada, actually, in 1975. And he built then the plant initially in McKenzie, did that and had a chipping plant that had quite a going operation mm -hmm. and then unfortunately, and they still run they still run a chip plant yeah and yeah. and so uh you know and truly a value-added company mm -hmm. right exactly. so what i've said is that in my opinion and i said that during that presentation that we did for the medium is the then premier and then the then minister of forest that i believe the future of the industry in the province of British Columbia is that a couple of things are challenges is that five or six company control 75% of the annual allowable mm -hmm. cut or the timber in the province. If you control 75%, then factually you control it all mm -hmm. because all the incremental wood will be you know, they have a distinct advantage over the ones that do not have timber or do not have what they call tenure. Tenure is, it's perpetually the right to cut a volume. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a position that gives somebody a distinct advantage. Uh, they, uh, for whatever reason they have, a uh, lot of those companies that uh, the big five or six are public companies and uh, you know, and, and did not find it to be competitively to their benefit to operate here and have invested in other places, especially the U.S. Southeast or in some cases in, in Europe. Yes. Uh, you know, the, so that then being said, that hopefully at some point they will come back to BC and, uh, and start investing again. Once they do invest, what I've said is that I believe that the future of the industries, the newer mills that will be put into place in the regions will be in, in, employing, uh, be, will be mills that are focusing on different profiles of logs. There will be more technology involved like electronic, robotics, and everything else, and here is the operative they will employ even less people than they do now. Right. That's the future. Mm -hmm. And so what I've said is that the future is innovative primary in combination with intensive secondary. And intensive secondary could be secondary manufacturing of lumber. I'm not talking about uh, you know, residuals like right. chips are residuals, pellets are residuals. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about lumber. Mm -hmm is that, uh, you know, that I believe that the lumber that will be manufactured by the companies, up to 50% of that volume will go up the value chain, the t lowest 25% of it and the highest 25%, and it should be done here. 
and in the province of British Columbia. Yes. It can be done yes. here. And, and we had a, um, a company come to McKenzie about, I guess it was, it'll be two years, January 1st, because that's when the, the um, investors came to the community and the CAO and I met, and they wanted to ha build a value-added mill. They were willing to actually build a mill. We went to government, and even though the Canfor mill had been shut for more than a year by that time, we were told, well, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no fiber available, and that was my question to them. Don't be telling us that you want to build a value-added industry when you're not going to support those people who want to have value-added facilities with tenure. It's, you can't have one without the other, and, and that's what I find most um, frustrating. And the other thing, you know, you look back the history of Mackenzie. Mackenzie was built as uh, an initiative from Victoria. When the Wacky Bennett Dam was built and they flooded now Williston Reservoir, named after the former minister, Ray Williston. Ray Williston, yeah. They said, hey, now we have access to all this wood. Yeah. Let's build a town yeah. that can be the processing uh, place for all that, that fiber. Exactly. And so the town was built, people moved there. It went from, you know, bush to a small town we're, we have a very proud um, forest um, history, yes. but now the government seems to have turned their back. We are there because government wanted that town built. We were built under the Instant Town Act in 1966 to support the industry. Yeah. Now our community's getting no support from industry or government right now. I, I'm, I'm quite concerned. We now have our third forest minister in 26 months. Yeah. We are, uh, that's, forestry is an industry in crisis right now. Yeah. And wh where's the, the continuity, the plan when they keep changing, who's going to be steering the, the boat? There's the strategy, yeah. you know, going forward. Exactly. So what I'm saying is this, uh, Joan, is that saying innovative primary, once they start investing again, that's how the primary will look. That the other part of it, what I'm saying, intensive secondary, either by down by primaries because they can do it too although they're not good at that, mm -hmm. that usually or by strategic relationships they have with primaries or by individual companies like us and like likely parallel 55 and then the question then becomes that and that i've said that over and over again that Part of the intentions paper was threefold. Wants to make sure that there is more of the tenure or timber is in the hands of First Nations by law. That is starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. The other one is that they will share in the revenue. I say, that's a good thing. That there will be deferrals of old growth. That's probably a good thing, but in my mind, it has gone too far in some areas. I'm against people knocking over these beautiful, beautiful trees, mainly on the coast and on the island. And I'm not a big fan of that, but it has gone so far that it now has, I think, 2.6 million hectares is, is qualified, classified as old growth and literally 11 million uh, uh, hectares in the province of British Columbia 75% of that already exactly. is set aside right. as old growth. Mm -hmm. 
and and so uh, so it has now become in a lot of cases where down the coast anything more than 250 years old will be considered to be old growth and in the interior everything 150 years and older and I believe that is a lot of difficulty and and it kind of has upset the allocation of timber to getting of cutting rights and all of that is that it has gone too far in that direction. Exactly. And I think that some something that educating the public, when people think old growth, that's exactly what they think is those beautiful big trees in Cathedral exactly. Grove. That's not what old growth looks like across this province. And be, old growth has to be managed, in my mind, the same way as the working forest exactly. is managed. I, I, and exactly. people think, oh, it's, we're going to designate it old growth, so we've kind of made a monument and that's going to stay there forever. No, yeah, it's going to get old, happen. sick, fall over, rot, maybe start a forest fire. So it has to be yeah. managed. We can't just say, oh, yeah, this is old growth. And, and old growth will not always stay there. It could be a tree in the interior. It's, it's only that big around. Mm -hmm. And simply because it's 150 years or, or more, now it's old growth. No, all of that, the rotation of that is extremely important. Exactly. So some of the stakeholder groups, with all due respect to the, the environmental community, I think they have done a lot of good things, but in some cases it has gone too far mm -hmm. and it has to be brought back to, you know, logic in terms exactly. of what is right for it and, and also considering economic exactly. effects that it will have if it goes too far. I'm also against exporting of logs, mm -hmm. but I'm also against exporting of lumber that could be further manufactured. And I think it was early in 2000 when, with all due respect to my friends on the uh, BC Liberals, when Gordon Campbell uh, you know, made some very major changes to forest policy. One of them was eliminating uh, appurtenancy. I didn't agree with that. Uh, in, in, in spite of the obelisk could have been temporary. Uh, they. Uh, uh, there was also, and I was involved in that in the late 90s, early 2000, when I was the uh, chair of the BC Council Value Added Wood Processes, to set aside 20% of the AEC aimed at value added manufacturing, where we could attract capital from outside and saying, and this comes to the person that approached, or the company that approached McKinsey, is saying that's the wood that we set aside for value-added manufacturing, so that uh, you know that it is not realistic to say we want value-added manufacturing. There must be reasonable expectation. I'm not saying tenure forever and ever. Reasonable expectation that credible secondary manufacturers like Parallel 55 would be one of those, Brink, Vote Fall in that category, mm -hmm. as the ones that are making the commitment must have reasonable expectation of access to fiber. Yes. That was changed then in the sense that a couple of things happened. Uh, indirectly, by accident, but it is so absurd that I believe that it may well be de by design, and I don't want to be, uh, you know, uh, blaming anybody in particular, but, uh, you know, that 
I was very involved in the value-added sector in the province and was very involved in softwood lumber negotiations. And for the first three rounds of negotiations of softwood lumber, I was involved in those. And what we were able to negotiate with Ottawa, the province, and the Americans is that value-added manufacturing would pay should pay no duties because they have no timber if the allegation is you, it's subsidized. And I always say the Americans are making the right argument for the wrong reason. You know, we be very frank about it. And then, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, so what then happened is that we would pay on the input vol value of the price for the raw material, not on the how much value did we add after that and right. pay duties on that. That whole thing was not even introduced in Lumber 4. So since 2017, companies like us have paid $60 million in duties that we should never have paid. And that was simply because they claimed they didn't know, but I I cannot believe that, mm -hmm. but we were not part then of the negotiation, neither was the, the, the value-added sector. It was 10 companies, most of them the big five and the five other ones that have this ex exclusive group of the BC Lumber Trade Council that were negotiating the, the uh, software lumber agreement. And, and I, by accident, forgot to include the value-added sector. Right. Uh, although the value-added sector is not a, not part of that and will not be allowed to be part of that. So. Uh, although that's what government, the BC government, is telling us what they want to see, but they have to they have to facilitate that. They're the only ones that can make that happen. Now the other part, Joan, that is the one part. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Uh, the BC government was aware of that and should have been aware of that and did not do. That destroyed a lot of value-added companies in the province, mm -hmm. taking away the, the small business program. That was the other one. They took then the small business program and made it BCTS, which meant that it was no longer exclusively available to value-added manufacturers that had to have reasonable expectations of access to fiber. Mm -hmm. It was then put on the open market where the companies that controlled already 75 percent deep, deep pockets. Yeah, and not only that part, but they could bid for whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm, exactly. Because if that's what you had to survive on, the incremental wood, if you already have 70, 60, 70 percent of the timber that you need secured at a much lower cost to add the other 20 percent, would all be kind of washed out over the right, other, exactly. no problem, right? Exactly. So that and my understanding is you've been working hard to get um, a, a portion of that BCTS wood uh, but available. I'm, but I'm saying, Joan, it didn't belong to there where it is. It was negotiated years ago, mm -hmm. and it was part of the uh, what they call CAT two secondary yes. manufacturing yeah. sector to attract investment and. Uh, and BCTS was just a way of in skillful uh, manipulation by other stakeholders uh, that they got it put into what they call CAD1, so anybody can bid on yes, it. Yes, exactly. And, and so it's manipulated into... So these, if you're a uh, small, small local manufacturer... There is no way you have... 
competing against a big multinational now, company? Add, add to that one more thing that is horrible that even to imagine it, then saying that we should be able to buy lumber, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, for low-grade lumber in our particular case or some other cases, but it could also be high-grade lumber, that uh, the, 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 uh, the, again, the BC Lumber Trade Council found ways in which they got money from the federal government, provincial government, to uh, set up uh, markets in China in particular or in Asia, but China in particular already in the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, that sounds like very good. Uh, you know, the Chinese, with all due respect, are not building houses like we do. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. So, and they are bottom feeders. So they importing all the low grades and all of a sudden, the low grades that used to be remanufactured in the province of British Columbia are no longer available to the secondary manufacturers. In fact, it went so far, and a lot of people don't even know that, it went so far that in order to make sure that if the majors or the primaries did not find the local buyers of low grades or wholesalers to compete with them in China, they raised the prices at least 20 or 25 percent for low grades in British Columbia than the price they would be paying mm -hmm. for the Chinese. Mm -hmm. Add all of those together and then wonder why are there no secondary manufacturing plants for all intents and purposes that are virtually in, in the interior of the province. I would think that at most maybe 10 secondary manufacturers, where there used to be many, many more. Northern BC alone, 50. If we, if we made sure that there would be a policy of saying that we should add wherever we can, add further manufacturing to the raw material source that we have here, lumber or others for that matter, mm -hmm. do it here. For lumber alone in the province, and doing low-grade remanufacturing in the province would create ten to twenty thousand jobs. No question about that. Right. If right. we did the same with the higher grades, you know that do as much of the remanufacturing or further manufacturing here would add another ten or twenty thousand jobs. That would double the employment on the forest industry in British Columbia. Do you do you think the government will recognize and accommodate that? The, that's the question, right? So I'm the only voice, you know, if I, I was, I'm, I'm, I've been in all the meetings mm -hmm. virtually, you know, with the primaries and with secondaries and then there's virtually nobody left in the secondary manufacturing sector. So they, uh, uh, they have some body working out of the Vancouver area in the interior. I'm the only one that is speaking up and, and, in the interior, you know, north of <laughs> Hope for all intents and purposes, or north of Williams Lake, that's where 90% of the timber is. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we have really no voices for secondary manufacturing. So, so and again, that's the frustration is we know what has to be done. Government has to be the people to facilitate that. They're saying we need 
more value, no longer volume, it's value. But the, the, they're not doing their part to make that happen. And yeah. it's not going to happen until they do. No. And, and it is a question of, uh, you know, do they have the guts to do it and stand up and yes. saying, this yeah. is what will yeah. have to happen. So far, uh, John, I have not seen that. And I've been fairly vocal about it. Uh, you know, the, uh, and my friends at the Council of Forest Industry are not going to like me much for this, but, uh, you know, right now the Council of Forest Industry is not, the senior people are not negotiating with the value-added sector. Mm -hmm. So they will put something together which will result in maintaining the status quo. Right. And I believe, uh, you know, that the objective of the primary sector is to maintain the status quo at all costs. Uh -huh. In fact, the first meeting that we were at, uh, you know, one of the key individuals of the big five or six basically said, they will not get my timber. They will not tell me or us at what, where we can sell our lumber at whatever price. Mm -hmm. So that's our position. So what do you want to talk about? More or less. Yeah, exactly. And and they kind of had to scramble then and say, well, that probably was not the right thing to say, but that's what is on the record. Mm -hmm. when, when government, um, and again, it was the right thing to do, talk to the stakeholders in the province, the people who know the business, people who work in it. Elected officials don't work in the forest industry. They're elected officials. The people, yourself, the people on the ground in the bush, the loggers, they work in, in the industry. So when they had the interior forest sector renewal process in 2019 and 2020, the number one recommendation was redistribution of tenure. Too few have too much control over the forest. We, we like to say the forest belong to the people of this province. Well, that might be true on paper, but in reality, those five or six big companies drive the industry. So government knows what has to be done. They brought in um, legislation a year ago, you know, that they can take back tenure, but they have legislation. They haven't developed, to my knowledge, any regulations to actually put that into action. So, you know, we've been talking and talking and talking, identifying what are the issues, what do we have to do to fix them. We've had those conversations. Now it's time to put those recommendations into action. So what I did is a couple of programs, you know, where I had Bob Schutz, uh, BC Forest Industry and Transition, and some of the experts. Having you here as a community leader and a leader in Northern British Columbia that is, speaks out about the issues, is familiar with the issues, and brings them forward, is a step forward. Mm -hmm. You know, so what I like to see is that to my friends, the major primaries that are watching these segments, no question about it, I say to them, you know, that as I said before, that once they feel that, and I, I, I agree with them on certain things, that because of bureaucracy around the forest industry and, and the Ministry of Forest, the stumpage system that we have is broken. It should be changed, it should be fixed. Mm -hmm. Much more effective in Alberta than it is here. It has nothing to do with how much money we pay, but it's just the bureaucracy doesn't work. It doesn't help in allocation of timber, the way it's uh, getting timber permits, 
uh, for harvesting is broken and needs to be fixed. Right. The other one is that the old growth deferral, uh, I agree to a certain extent, but the understanding is, is to a lot of people that only affects big trees. It doesn't. We are doing a very good job in terms of preserving old growth. Already of the 11 million uh, hectares, we are already preserving 75%. That does not mean there should be some other, but now it has gone too far where we are preserving in any timber over 150 years old growth and it, it becomes it paralyzed the system as to where it is now right. it makes it very difficult for the companies yep. to operate it i give them all of that but i on the other hand what i'm saying is that if if the industry or the the it, it it's it's consolidated now to the point that there is really a question of is this good for the province? And the answer is no. And, and that if they are, with all due respect, I take the liberty to say that if I was on their board, then I would say the time has come for us to recognize that we are changing. Mm -hmm. you know, the, yeah. uh, and, and because the public will demand it. And, uh, you know, and, and that's where and the sun is shining on value-added manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And this will not go away with you or me. This will continue until change. Now is the time to be proactive. Exactly. And, and, and if you look at um, the Mackenzie timber supply area in particular, we know that there is lots of wood up there. Yeah. Um, we also know Mackenzie has been the graveyard for many forestry companies. They, Correct. They've come and gone and come and gone because, and I've heard this dozens of times, it's way more expensive when you're hauling logs 300 kilometers on a gravel road. Yeah. And that has to be recognized. So government has to realize they have to play a part in this um, because I agree lower some stumpage is better than no stumpage because I, nobody wants to log up there because it's too expensive. I agree with you 100%. And that the... Uh, the government is a partner in that, and if the boot was closer in terms of from a cost perspective, then everything would change. And then it brings me to another one that is, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, it's, it's always been something that has immensely troubled me, is we should have never sold BC Rail and uh, or given it away, mm -hmm. and we did. So that then being said, Maybe now the time has come to say to BC Rail or to CN, you know, you got lots of problems already managing up to Prince George. Make that the hub and let's take the lines that go to Fort Nelson on the one side to Takla on the other side mm -hmm. and further expand those and make that part of our transportation system to bring logs and uh, to a market and, and potential other mm -hmm. resources. Exactly. That would help. CN doesn't really want those lines. I don't believe because they, they, they have lots of trouble with these other ones already. And take them from, and I've not said that too publicly before, but yeah, uh, I believe that's... You look at the community at Taylor right now, the Canfor Pulp Mill, they've been down since February. Yeah. Why? 
they can't move their product out of their yard because yeah. CN Rail is not providing them with the service that they need. Here we have over a hundred carloads in our yard. Can get them out. Yeah. You know. So so what I'm saying is that in in our discussion, what I would say is to stop the CN at the and then manage. They can still own it if they want to, whatever you know, in some form. But manage that in a different way and then make government. A stakeholder, a, a partner, right. and how do we make our industry competitive globally and do it together? Mm -hmm. It's not exactly. them and us. Yes, it's not going to work. What's good for companies is good for the province. Exactly, and and everybody knows that that is our cost area. You know, like, and I don't blame Canfor in a way, and uh, you know, and. and uh, you know, the, uh, or others uh, saying that they cannot afford to operate in McKenzie because their log cost is too high. Then and give the up your tenure share. if you're not going to operate in McKenzie. And that's the other part about <laughs> it, right? Or sell it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I've said to him, I, I would gladly buy it because I would set up a mill there. Mm -hmm. Huge potential, you know, and, uh, but, but uh, you know, the, but I believe that in terms of the uh, intentions paper, which is supposing, it has all the tools available to them to make changes. Right. Now is the time. But get on with it. But what has to happen, Joan, is that people like you in the co northern communities have to get become directly involved with stakeholders like uh, the ones in your communities, the ones mm -hmm. here that are willing to speak up and stand up and saying, it's now time, right. you know, right. that, uh, you know, why are we sending low-grade lumber to China and then pay, have the companies here that would like to buy it, have them pay 20% more because you're scared that if you pay the same price here, then you're going to compete with them in China. That's gone on for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows in the industry, but nobody says anything right. about it. I'm probably the only one. And then on the other hand, and, uh, you know, if you want to invest elsewhere, then uh, reconsider the 10-year system as it is today. Uh, but also look at the stumpage system that's broken. And, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, with all that beautiful timber north uh, in the interior of the province and in northern British Columbia that is too expensive to bring to market while the government is part of a stakeholder. Exactly. And should be a exactly. partner in yeah. that to make sure that that is viable and competitive. Mm -hmm. I agree 100%. You know, but I believe that, uh, you know, the... Uh, so with the, the guest that I had before, you know, with uh, uh, Rob Schutz, you know, amazing and, and, uh, and, and expert in the field of reforestation. Mm -hmm. James Avant, same thing, an expert in his field. And, uh, you know, the concern about, but I have a lot of people asking me, is how is the future, do we have a, a, a sound forest, working forest in British Columbia. And the answer clearly from them is, yes, we have. Right. It is sustainable. It will be carefully. It's That's always- That's why we have timber supply reviews, to make sure they are sustainable. Yeah. And every five years, it is being evaluated to make sure we're not overcutting or yeah. can we cut more. Yeah. So that is there. The, the quality of the timber is there. We have the- 
the infrastructure between rail, road, not functioning necessarily mm. the way they should. Everything is there. The location of uh, uh, you know our province in regards to global markets close to the United States, China, and 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 Europe on uh, you know and then uh, you know the the other part that I feel very strongly about while we are talking is that I've been. I was quite involved with the College of New Caledonia for okay. many, many years, and by, by, by uh, and same as UNBC. And that, uh, you know, when, it must be 25 years ago that I donated to buying the building there and creating the uh, Trades and Technology Center, mm -hmm. and my name is on it, and I'm honored by that. But what I have said is that when I made that presentation, I said, it's not the resource, we have the best in the world. It's not the location, we have the best location. China, UN, United States, Europe. We have infrastructure, roads, air, rail in place. We have willing entrepreneurs that are ready to come here and to invest. Dollars are avail available. The deterrent is having a skilled workforce. And unless and until we start investing in, right. in uh, but I say a center of excellence in combination with UNBC and the College of New Caledonia, then that's where we must invest. And with all due, again, with all due respect to my friends down south, they just donated $2.5 million to BCIT, who is building a $220 million addition to BCIT. I think the time has come to invest that money here in Northern BC. Where the, the majority of the industry is. Yeah. Exactly. And where probably 80% of the gross domestic product of BC is coming from the interior right. of BC. And I've said that to these guys, hey guys, wake up. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and that's because, you know, the same as First Nations and you know, I applaud them for doing what they are doing. And as they become involved in the industry, we have to be able to train them because if we are giving them timber right. and not the skill sense that they require for their people to work with, uh, you know, yeah. then... Again, McKinsey is in a, in a unique advantage that um, our two largest logging contractors in our uh, timber supply area are McLeod Lake Indian Band who yeah. own Does Cho and Seike Dene that own Chucho. So yeah, yeah. those two nations have the capacity, Yeah. Um, but that's not the same across the province. And I know there are some mayors and small communities that think their timber supply area is going to be that's going to just be selling of logs to go elsewhere. And we all want the logs in our areas to be processed in our yeah. areas. That's why our communities are yeah. there. So I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful that um, the indigenous nations, particularly McLeod Lake and Seike Dene and Quiracha, they are already involved in the industry. Yeah that they know what they're doing, they have successful companies, so yeah. I, I think it's, um, An it will bode well um, moving forward that they'll be able to you know, take that tenure that they have and manage it properly, support our community. 
and maybe go into manufacturing, not just lumber, but also value-added products. Exactly. That's where I want to see them go. Mm -hmm. You know, is saying, uh, you know, what else can we do together? And that means how do we develop the skill sets? Right. And so what I would like to see is really, uh, you know, talk to communities and the people in general, like what we did with UNBC. It was the all of Northern BC that came together and say, we want a freestanding university right. in Northern British Columbia. It took a lot of effort, but it's there now. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. Most of the people that are being trained there are working here in Northern British Columbia. Exactly, exactly. And the same has to happen with the center of excellence and it kind of, you know, uh, you know, bothered me somewhat that when I saw this week that the force companies, uh, uh, all of the major ones, uh, you know, uh, together donated 2.5 million to get a $220 million investment in BCIT. Uh, you know, I, I donated here to uh, the, the Trade and, and Technology Center, a million dollars on my own, and nothing has happened. You know, so, uh, you know, how much does it take? And it, it takes the people standing up and saying, that must change. Right. So what I'm saying to you, and, and you vocal, and, and, and I agree with you 100%, I've admired you for standing up uh, and, and challenging you know, the status quo is saying that I believe the communities have to get together even more so, rallying the people around it and saying enough already. Now is the time, let the intentions paper be the uh, document and let's move forward to where are we going because... A little quicker. Uh, well, <laughs> with, the, yeah, with the premier gone, John yes, Oregon, yes. unfortunately, and then Catherine uh, Conroy also now being in finance. I want to know what happened to it mm -hmm. because for now it's just uh, the Council of Forest Industry, a couple of their bureaucrats inside the Council of Forest Industry trying to negotiate with a couple of value-added manufacturers that represent mainly the coast and, and the Kootenays, but nobody from the interior for all intents and purposes is involved. I'm kind of trying to do my best, but uh, you know, I'm not part of the mm -hmm. direct discussion. Right. So it kind yeah. of feels like, uh, uh, you know, the government said, well, let's get Kofi to do it. And that's just kind of like sending the fox to count the chickens, <laughs> you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. they will maintain the status quo. And, and you know, um, I am uh, very saddened to see John Horgan leave. Me too. Um, because I, I think he... You know, he had personal health issues that he yeah. had to deal with. And I respect his decision, but he was moving forward to move this yeah. this industry forward yeah, because he recognized the value. And I don't know David Eby that well, I and don't know and, and um, I know he, you know, he's um, comes from a um, a background that takes care of people, and yeah. you know, we realize the challenges in the Lower Mainland with. Um, homelessness and addictions and all the support services that are yeah. needed. So I understand that um, that's going to be a major focus for the yeah. sitting government right now to take care of those people who can't take care of themselves. Yeah. But as resource communities, we have a huge part to play in that because yeah. if we can be operating uh, and running successful manufacturing in our um, communities, whether it's primary 
or value added. We, we will be adding to the, the, um, the purse strings to help no those people. So we have a big role to play. So our concerns have to be heard so that we are successful in what we are doing because that's going to make our government successful in de de um, delivering all these social programs that are no, needed. No question about that, yeah, yeah Joe. So, so the message is simply that, at least, at least from my perspective, is that yes, the forest, uh, we have a future in the forest industry, no question about yes. it. There is no country in the world that grows better fiber than we do. And, uh, you know, but the opportunities are, I saw a graph actually, uh, you know, it was the BC Liberals that did it in one of the documents that showed the different countries in the world that are manufacturing lumber and value added projects. We were the second one from the bottom. That should not happen. We should be on the top, at least moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I believe that uh, communities to stand, stay, uh, stand up and saying uh, no longer you are one of the strong voices I would like to see more and more doing that and then offering solutions like uh, you know like uh, you know the if if the timber in the north is not competitive then let government make it competitive exactly because exactly. You, they are part of the yes uh, the economic viability of uh, northern British Columbia exactly you know? yeah. yeah so that's that's the way I feel about it so, uh, yeah, so I very much enjoyed my conversation with you and uh, anything else that comes to mind that... Uh, um, I, I just uh, wanna thank you for letting me have the opportunity to talk with you because I think the more talking and the more educating that we can do to the people who don't really understand this industry, you know, people say, oh, it's a sunset industry, you know, I've had... No. Elected contract. officials say that to me, and I'm thinking, no, it's not. No. We are in a um, transition now. We are in a, a pretty low uh, point because of forest health issues and wildfires. Um, but we know we plant more than we harvest, so things are going to get better. Maybe not in my lifetime that things will be way better, but we are moving towards that. But we heard from our last experts that we had here, both uh, Rob Schutz and Jim Vergen, is saying that, uh, you know, that in the next 40, 50 years from now, which sounds like a long time in our lifetimes, mm -hmm. but not in terms of a, a yes. forest, is that not only will we, the way we are growing the fiber now, we're planting for every tree that comes down, at least three Rob Schutz sets, if not more than that. And the way we are managing the forest now, with very little effort really to get it back to free to grow. The likelihood is 40, 50 years from mm -hmm. now, we will not be at 60 million cubic meters yeah. annually, but moving towards 90 million. So the industry will be double the size as we look forward. And, and then that, that brings up the other question that I, I guess could be a conversation all on its own. Are we better to have area-based tenures or volume-based yeah. tenures. And I think what I've heard from people in directly involved in the industry, foresters, area-based tenures, that's yours, so you're gonna, it's like if you're renting an apartment or if you own a home, which yeah. are you gonna invest more money into? Yeah, 
And, and a good example of that, again, is, and I agree with you, is that uh, it's, it's, if it is volume-based, then you not, not have no loyalty to a certain oh, area. Exactly. Why if, would you? Yeah. And a good example of that would be Dunkley's that uh, at one point uh, got a, a three-farm license of about 80,000 cubic meters, which is not a whole lot, but they doubled or tripled it in size in a very short period of time. By and that's intense management. Correct. Yeah. And so... But this, I don't know, but a mixture of those uh, mm -hmm. is probably something that would make sense, yeah. you know, to... Because right now we are, we rely on our community forests now. Yeah. We lost, last year in 2022, we were um, short, or this year, short $800,000 in industrial tax yeah. because of the paper excellence closure. Yeah. yeah. So this year, um, our community forest, our dividend... We were owned by Mackenzie and McLeod Lake Indian Band. We each got a dividend of $350,000. Sometimes right. we each get a half a million dollars a year. Yeah. And that goes a long way when your major industry is shutting down in your community. Exactly. So I'm a strong supporter of community forests. Yeah, also. I, I agree with that. Yeah, so, Joe, it was my pleasure. Yes, thank you so much, John. Yeah, thank you.